You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. Here are your hosts, Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkinson. Does God's church have a mission, or does God's mission have a church? What do you think, Jason? Well, first of all, I would say to those listening to not miss or not underestimate how significant this question is, because I think at first glance, when you hear it, you know, in fact, I've had pastors say, you know, it's, 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 it's really just a both and it's really just semantics. It's really not a big deal. But I think what we don't realize is, is we often have emphasized one expression or one example of a local church and its survival and its purpose and its sustenance over what the bigger story of God is really about and up to what God's mission is about, what it's really that we've been invited into. And so it is, it is a very significant question. It's a very formative question if you wrestle with it. And so it's this idea that, Hey, if, if God's mission has a church, more so than the thought that just God's church has a mission, then that means his mission existed even prior to what we today know as the church. And so the church serves what God is really up to overall, over time, rather than God becoming some subservient element to what we think we're up to for the survival of our one local church. And that's important because, like for me, that means... I need to then be involved in that. And the people I do life with that I'm walking close with and learning Christ with, we need to be involved in that mission. What is that mission? So it's transcendent, objective, and corporate. Yes. Jay, what do you got? So Jason, I have a a question uh, just for clarity's sake. Is it significant that God's mission has been obviously around for many, many, many years before God initiated the church, is there any significance to that? Yeah, I think there is. I think I think the two reasons why it's significant is, first of all, it demonstrates that God, in His love, in His sovereignty, in His goodness, that that He has been up to something and and intentional about something and strategic about something before time even began, right? Like Paul hints us, Paul hints us in on that in Ephesians, right? That, you know, that this redemption plan was put in place even before the foundation of the world. And so if that's his mission to help us to believe how good he really is and that he's loving and has invited us into this relationship with him and gives us an identity that we don't even deserve, right? We're, 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 we're loved children of God. We, we, we don't do anything to earn that identity. It's something that drove him and moved and compelled him before he even made us. And he made us anyway, knowing we would even choose more than just that goodness, right? right? And so this mission that he's been up to, he's incredibly strategic about it. He's incredibly intentional about it. And, and he's invited us into it, this broader, longer story. And that then defines our story, right? So we really can't understand our own story and our own identity outside of the story of what he really is up to. And so the fact that that's been around for so long, um, I think adds a very formative context and defining context to who we are. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I think it ought to really give us some pause about 
and this is the second reason I would suggest it's significant, I think it ought to give us pause that he thought it, he was that intentional about delivering what we call the gospel, right? That this story, this message, that this good news that we talk about, right? He was that, it, it took a long time from a time perspective. It took years mm-hmm. for him to not only set the stage for it, but, but really tell the story and then ultimately show up on the scene and demonstrate it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, that ought to give us pause if we are every, if we ever treat the gospel like it's just some thing we respond to at one moment in our lives when we pray a prayer versus this overarching dominating story that defines us in really who we are. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I, and not only just me, right? I think what you said a while ago, Paul, it's not just me. It's not just the individual, but even our collective identity. Like, so who yeah. is the church, right? Well, the mm-hmm. church can't even be understood mm-hmm. outside of God's mission. Yeah, because God created the church because of his mission. Yes. Right? Yeah, like we get, to, yeah. we have this incredible, gracious, undeserved privilege to embody the gospel right. and to declare the gospel verbally and to demonstrate the gospel to people. We don't deserve that, but we got invited into this mission that he himself had initiated for us, right? So it's kind of, it sounds crazy to say it, but like when Rick Warren says it's not about you, well, as, as weird as it sounds, in some ways it kind of was. Right, like, and I don't mean it wasn't about God. I'm saying that for God, though, whose glory is ultimate for us, mm-hmm. right? His heart and his love that compelled him was for us, yeah. right? It moved him to make us anyway, and moved him to come and make a plan to come and step into our very midst and declare something to us, a message that would change us forever, right? And now we have this privilege of joining in on that and taking that message of a God-given identity to others. It's it's definitely a paradigm shift for most for most believers, yeah. I would think, because uh, to consider that God has uh, always had a mission, has always had a redemptive purpose, a redemptive plan for the world, and that as a part of that plan, initiated a people to partner along with Him to be about that redemption to a lost world. That's right. Right. Yep. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. So we seem to be in agreement here that God's mission has a church. So join us tomorrow and let's see what's the purpose of that church. Question for Jason Dukes. What's the purpose of the church? Well, I probably ought to start by saying um, I'm not necessarily the definitive expert. No, you are the definitive expert, Jason. But I think I think it's healthy, and I don't mean that false modestly, to admit that that the church herself, the people together, uh, obviously are the voice on affirming this. And but I think I think the idea that that the purpose of the church, if we have to boil it down simply, especially based on what we talked about yesterday is this idea that we've been invited into the mission of God. Like we, we, we get to be a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves, than any one local body, than any one local expression of his church. And so this thought that our purpose then becomes, okay, so if Jesus showed up to clarify the message of God to us, to clarify the good news of, of God to us, um, 
if that's the case, then now we are sent to clarify that, right? So like John 1.18 says that Jesus came to clarify or reveal the Father, right? Or, and really reveal that he's, a, he's good and that he's loving, that he's a good king, right? If that's the case, then we've been sent to reveal that as well, to clarify that to people. Like, you know, in other words, it, it, maybe God's not all that you thought he was, but let me, let me tell you what he thinks of you. Right? Because this, that's what the good news is. And it gives you an identity with him. It gives you a security with him, a purpose with him. And, uh, and it leads or brings an abundant life to you. And so our purpose becomes deliverers, if you will, or ambassadors. Paul calls it ministers of reconciliation. We're ambassadors of this gospel to people. And so another way that Jesus phrased it then was make disciples. That's the short answer. Yeah, and I think of it in terms of emulation and imitation of who Jesus is. So Paul, again, would say to, in his letters, emulate me or imitate me insofar as I imitate Christ. And I think uh, maturing believers who have walked the walk for years say this to new believers. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Parents say to children, imitate me as I imitate Christ. New believers and maturing believers say this to the lost. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, so you're you're right that we mimic the sent one in how we live sent ourselves. Jason, my question is where where do we oftentimes as a church get off purpose? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, I I I would suggest that for the most part, especially in the last let's say let's just take the last hundred years for example in the American church. Right. For the most part, I don't think anyone ever woke up any day of the week and said, Hey, let's quit doing what Jesus intended as the church. Right. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, it's not like this massive negative thought of, you know, Hey, let's just, let's go off the path. Right. You know, and, you know, and, and, and people would, people might disagree with that and say, Oh, well, we did in this way and we did in this way. But, but what I'm trying to say is I don't think it was this malintent. Right. But what I think happens is we we let the purpose of the church begin to serve us instead of us serving the purposes of God, mm. right? So that's why that first question from yesterday about the mission of God or the, and the church are so important, right? Because Dietrich Bonhoeffer was famous as saying that the church is one of those rare organizations that doesn't exist solely for its mem- members, right? It, it exists for outsiders, and, and so, you know, the, like you, we, we've got to understand that the purpose of the church is not about me. That's what Warren meant when he started his book that way, right? Like to say, the church doesn't exist for you, right? That it, and it's not about you. It's not just about us being consumers who come get a nice sermon and nice music and a nice program and, and, and learn some good things and feel better about ourselves or get a nice ministry service or whatever, right? But it is about growing to understand the gospel more, this identity that we didn't deserve but was graciously given to us, and then giving that kind of love and gospel and forgiveness to each other, and then going and helping the world know that that's available for them as well, right? So this this idea that really what we are as disciples is we never quit learning that good news and that gospel and how it comes to bear in our own lives and in our relationships and then we are called to go with it, to go with Jesus, 
out into the midst of the darkness and help people to also catch that identity. So if our purpose ever becomes anything less than growing to become fishers of men or becoming disciples who make disciples, right, then we're, we're slightly off track of, of whatever that. So, 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 so a good way to say it might be if, if our desire, our purpose as a church ever becomes, Hey, the church helps me become better, period. Right. Or the church helps me be more Christ-like, period. Or the church helps me, right. If it stops there, it has to be the church does help me, challenges me to the message of the gospel challenges me to, to grow in Christ likeness, comma, not period. The church, the gospel does grow me in Christ like, like if I, as I keep remembering the gospel, right, I, I am more likely to become Christ like, comma, and that ought to compel me. And it does compel me to then go help someone else understand, Hey, this same good news, this same abundant life, this same purpose, this Christ likeness that I'm getting to, to richly experience and I'm so grateful for this being with Jesus really. Cause that's the, that's the idea. The purpose of the church isn't to go tell people you can be a better you. The purpose of the church is to help, is to go tell people and to remind each other constantly, God loved you enough to come close to you. Right? He's not God to make you a better person. He's God with us. That's his name. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that our purpose then is about me, that's where we get off kilter. We've got to always remember it's really, it's really about God, his love for us and the fact that we've been invited into it. How do we give that to each other? Right? Which is the new command to love one another as I have loved you so that others know you're my disciples, the mission. And so those two go hand in hand. And a healthy church embodies caring for one another and caring for the world together really well. Comma, so that we can share redemption. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, tomorrow we'll answer the question, is the Great Commission about evangelism, discipleship, or missions? Over the last few decades... We have, as the church, oftentimes put the Great Commission into various categories. We might would say that the Great Commission is about evangelism, or the Great Commission is about discipleship, or the Great Commission is about missions. But if we were to ask the question to you, Jason, is the Great Commission about those three things? What would your answer be? Well, I think, I think first of all, you know, it's important that we understand, and probably for a lot of our listeners, well, let, let me rephrase it. I think for some of our listeners, they would say, hey, we kind of know the answer to that already, right? Like we've, but for, for others of our listeners, I think, I think they would say, well, no, I've heard it argued a lot of different ways, right? Cause I think over, over the years, especially over the last 65, 70 years, you know, we heard different groups argue that it was one or the other. Right. And, and especially if you were in mainstream evangelical life or in evangelical life in this, in America, you heard people hold up the missions banner or hold up the discipleship banner or hold up the evangelism banner and, and, and maybe even hold up some of the other banners that we could hold. Right. But, but really, I think when we ask that question, as weird as it sounds, the answer is neither. Right. It's not about evangelism as an entity individually or that one sole thing. It's not about missions or that one sole endeavor. 
It's not about discipleship or that, that one effort, right? It's about making disciples, right? And so even if we get honest about the scripture, the language of that scripture, you take those three verses, there's one subject and verb, right? It's the imperative, make disciples. So in the original language, you've got five participles then that kind of unpack around that one imperative. So the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is then this thought of, hey, make disciples. By the way, I've got authority to tell you that, number one. Number two, I want you to do it as you're going. Number three, I want you to be baptizing, right? This initiation element of people beginning to say, no, this is my new life, right? I want you to be teaching, right? Which really, the language there, it's about learning. It's about this idea of, um, I'm not just going out and having a massive audience and I'm teaching someone. It's about all of us learning to actually do what Jesus said, right? So, hey, teaching, helping others to obey what I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, right? So this idea that he's with us in this, that's the fifth one. And so, you know, those five elements all kind of play into helping us understand that this isn't just about evangelism. It's not just about helping someone hear the good news and be converted. It's not just about missions in the sense that let's go to the places where the gospel is is not as easily accessed, right? Which is really what the heart of missions is about. Let's Let's go take the gospel to the places where it's not easy to get it. It's not just about that, even though nations are mentioned, and it's not just about discipleship as we've defined it, right? We typically have thought in the American church of discipleship as this idea that I'm I'm a new believer now, and now that I'm a new believer, I'm going to come and get taught some things to help me grow as a believer. And, And we didn't, again, like we said yesterday, we didn't mean for that to become self absorbed, right? But, but in a lot of ways it did. It became about me. Right. Even our evangelistic efforts became about me. Right. Because we, we we typically even thought of it in terms of how many can I reach? And we set all these goals and we, you know, and I get it that people's heart in that was about, you know, we want to see as many as can, can come to faith in Christ. But we often forgot that Jesus himself made disciples by putting on skin, moving into the neighborhood, inviting along a few while together they served many. And those few then later would be sent out to invite along a few who would later be sent out to invite along the few. And that idea that we were intended then to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. What's scary is that even at today's population rate, if we did that in a one-to-one basis, it would take 34 years to fulfill the Great Commission. Hmm. And we're 1,970 years removed or so 1,970 to 1,980 years removed from when it was originally given. So we clearly have misconstrued it, or else it, we wouldn't still be taking this long to fulfill it, right? So so it's this idea now that we've got, let's awaken to the fact that the real purpose of the church was to make disciples. And let's become those disciples who make disciples. Let's don't just get caught in these different dichotomized, compartmentalized camps. Thank you, Jason. Tomorrow we're going to be asking the question, how was Jesus sent? You know, it's pretty explicit in the scriptures that Jesus is sent by the Father. He says it in various places, even just explicitly in the book of John. He he says something like, I stand with the Father who sent me. 
elsewhere in John twenty twenty one. He says, "As the Father sent me, I send you." So, my question to Jason today is, how was Jesus sent? Yeah, it's a great question, and and just to even pick up on what you're saying there, you know, John is really, if you had to label it, it's the sent gospel, right? Like it's the one of the four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the one of the four that highlights the sent language. Over, I think it's 61 times, if I remember right, the words used in, the, in, the, in that gospel. And over 50 of them are about Jesus, right? So just this idea that he was sent. And so John six twenty nine even specifically says, this is the work of God that people believe in the one who was sent, right? So... So like even what God is ultimately up to is that we believe in this word or message, this Jesus, as John calls him, this logos, this word, this ultimate message from God that we believe it, right? And Jesus encapsulates, embodies that ultimate message, that gospel, right? That we're fully loved by him, that we we have always been welcomed with him that we, you know, he so much so that he is God with us, right? Like this crazy idea that we graciously uh, get, get to be in on that. And so that, that's what, that's what makes us who we are. And it's what defined him being sent or as the question was posed, how he was sent, right? Really the, the, pl- the best place in, in all of the scriptures to discern how he was sent is in John 1, uh, verses 1 through 18. And I, I would encourage our listeners to go read it. You can kind of get a good picture of what that looks like. But, I mean, I, I would say he was sent, if you had to boil it down, in basically two things. Number one, he was sent to clarify what the Father had always been trying to say to us. Right? And so how he was sent was as someone with a message to share. Right. And so that's how we're sent. Right. We're sent with a specific message to share. It can't just be lived out. It also has to be communicated. So you need both. Right. Because that's the second way that he was sent. He was sent not only with a message to share, but he was also sent to demonstrate clearly. So a guy named Michael Frost, I love how he says it. He says he says that King Jesus came to demonstrate and declare the gospel and now sends us to do the same. Right. And so how is he sent as a declarer of that gospel, as a demonstrator of that gospel? Right. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that, um, you know, that that even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how he demonstrated his love for us. Right. So it's that idea. So how are we then? Right. So if Jesus was sent, how is he sent to demonstrate that, to declare that? And, and he did it in some specific ways, which over the course of our podcast will unpack a little bit more. But, but that, that's the specific ways. Those are some of the specific ways, or those are some of the ways that we could describe how he was sent. Yeah, and John 1 talks about him bringing light into darkness. And then so now we as adopted children and heirs are that light, and we can take that into the darkness to the lost and the searching. That's right. That's right. And I think, I think it's important for us to recognize, I don't, I don't think, and this may help some of, some of the listeners as they're processing this. I don't think we ask this question enough, right? And, 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 and the question I'm about to ask is what I'm talking about. I, I don't think as we read, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I, I don't know that we, that we ask often enough, Hey, how did Jesus make disciples? 
Like, like how, how was he sent? If we now are sent, I mean, he says it point blank. You read it, right? If we are sent the way he was sent, it would be logical. It would be a rational question to say, so how is he sent? Right. And, and I think, I don't know that we're asking over time. I've not heard that in my own experiences. I've not heard enough that question be asked enough. And I think it would be helpful. And I would even challenge our listeners. Hey, if you've never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with that question in mind, it might help. It might inform the very way that we think of and we identify ourselves as the church. So your homework for tomorrow's episode is to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John <laughs> and to ask yourself the question, how did Jesus make disciples? Yeah, so yeah, all, all by tomorrow. That's good. All by tomorrow. Well, tomorrow uh, we'll be asking the question, why does Jesus send his followers to make disciples as we go? We'll, we'll tackle that tomorrow. And we want to know, why does Jesus send his followers to make disciples as we go? But before you tackle that fully, just in general, what does it mean to live sent? Yeah, great question, man. You know, yesterday we talked a little bit about how the Gospel of John is kind of the sent gospel. And, and, and you know, just this idea that Jesus was sent among us. And he says, as the Father sent me, now I send you. And even in Mark 1, Mark 1, 17, which we'll get to as we continue the podcast series, um, this idea of follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men, right? Like this is, it really is our identity. This isn't just a task. So living sent isn't just something we tack on to all the other church activity that we do, right? So, you know, a way that I've said it in the past is we don't want to help people to just add church activity to their life. We want to help them be the church in their activity, right? And so this idea of living sent is I'm going to, I'm going to, first of all, believe in the sent one, which John six twenty nine says is the work of God. But as I believe in the one who is sent to me, Jesus, I'm going to again, then go live my life along with other Christ followers as sent people who take this same gospel to others as they, as it was t- brought to me, as it was delivered to me. So Paul unpacks that metaphor, uh, even calling us a letter, right? He, he says this in second Corinthians chapter three, verse three, and he's defending his own apostleship and his own sentness, if you will, in this particular section of second Corinthians. And what he's basically saying is, cause guys, we know this, because Jesus decided not to write his message on stone tablets, but on human hearts and in human lives, right? So it depends on the way the translator translates there in your version, whatever version you have. But it, it sometimes will say he wrote it into human hearts or he wrote it into human lives. And you yourselves are a letter written by Christ, right? So this idea of living sent is... I keep remembering and believing the gospel message that had been delivered to me by the love letter that was named Jesus, right? And I, I become addressed, if you will, um, and, and I'm sent, live my life for the purpose of helping other people read that same letter, right? That's what the church has been invited into. The mission of God now has us, invites us into that. And so I, I think what's important for people to understand, let's take the email metaphor, Right. Like you, you don't write an email and then save it to just sit in the draft box. But if you take that metaphor, right, I think we could say 
we could ask the question with with a, with a heart that aches, right? Not with a not with a judgmental spirit, but just a heart that aches. We could say, man, how many people do you feel like maybe have been saved, quote unquote? And they're just sitting in the draft box, right? Whereas from an email perspective, that would be purposeless. But the real purpose is to end up in the sent box. So if I write an email, if I want it to end up in that sent box inside of my email browser or whatever my email tool is, right? And so, so that's the thought is my life becomes sent. I, I fulfill this purpose. And so I'm not only living to go do missions or to go do evangelism, but as the church, we're living to love each other well, the way the gospel compels us to. And then we together provoke each other to go and give that same message, to deliver that letter unto others as we go. And unpack as we go for the next minute and a half. Yeah, so as we go is this thought, right, in, G, in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you know, usually it's translated go. But but a lot of guys who know Greek really well would suggest that it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean an imperative go, right? The real imperative is make disciples, but a describer there is this is more of a participle there, which is as you are going or while going or, or in the going, right? So... Um, a phrase I've always heard my dad use is along your everyday pathways, right? So, you know, whoever you run into, wherever that is, or as some people like to say nowadays, you know, anywhere, anytime with anybody, right? As we go into those thoughts and we think about this or we live where we live, work and play, it's a great, another great way to say it or in your everyday circles of influence, whatever those phrases are. As we go, I don't think of the story of the church as being two hours on Sunday morning. I think of the story of the church as being the other 166 hours of the week where we gathered to encourage each other with the gospel and remember the gospel and praise the giver of the gospel. And now we're provoked to go back out as we go and become deliverers of that gospel, deliverers of that message that we are fully loved, that we are forgiven that God is a good God who loves us and he's a good king and he's inviting us to be a part of all that he's worth, to have abundant life with him. And so that that's what as we go would look like if we lived it out the way Jesus did for us. Thank you for listening to this week's Living Sin episodes. We'll be back on Monday, May 1st with a brand new five more days of podcast episodes around the Living Sense series, 